Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Azrat Mirza Majroo Ahmed is the present head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the most dynamic international community within Islam. The community was established by Hazrat Mirza Khulam Ahmed in Kardian, a small and remote village in India. He claimed to be the expected reformer of the latter days, the one awaited by all major world religions. Founded in 1889, the community has continued to spread throughout the world, flourishing under caliphate, the system of spiritual leadership established after the demise of the holy founder. The current successor of this movement, Hazrat Mirza Mazrur Ahmed, continues the work of the Holy Founder to revive the spiritual and moral state of mankind. The movement embodies the benevolent message of Islam and its pristine purity, a movement that preaches peace, universal brotherhood, and submission to the will of God. Ahmadi Muslims have earned the distinction and reputation of being a law-abiding and peaceful community. Within a century, the movement has reached all the corners of the earth and has been recognized and praised by the global community. Your interpretation of jihad has always been in stark contrast to the extremist imams that we all deplore. We especially applaud His Holiness for denouncing those who pervert faith by claiming it as a justification for violence. However we define God, it is wrong to kill in His name. I have enormous admiration and respect for the work that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community are doing throughout the world to promote peace and understanding, not just by words, but by an example of a way of life, an example of impeccable conduct, and an example of undeniable faith in God Almighty, and an example of peace and tolerance. I only wish that more people could be here today to see this face of Islam, to understand this community's expression of that great religion, and I hope that for the future you will be recognized as the face of Islam, of love, of tolerance, of brotherhood and friendship. The work that you do in the community contributes every day towards that. Let us hope that everyone else's eyes are opened to the truth, to the justice, and to the compassion that you bring to our society. His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, the present head of the community, continues in his effort to unite people from all faiths and cultures by promoting interfaith dialogue and religious freedom. He has traveled extensively to spread the message of peace and to remind everyone to respect the rights of other human beings. During these tours, His Holiness has met world leaders from the Far East to Europe, from North America to Africa, discussing the economic, social and political problems facing the world today and how to create peace and justice in the world.
He has also met religious and community leaders in order to share common values and core ideals universal to all religions and cultures with a view to improving the moral state of mankind and creating an atmosphere of love and affection. From young to old, he compassionately listens to the ordinary man, regardless of race, color or religion. He has personally initiated social projects and schemes to alleviate poverty and human suffering. His concern is not just about the well-being and moral state of the members of the Ahmadiyya community, but of the great human suffering of mankind at large. The Ahmadiyya community knows only that Islam, which is the Islam of love and affection, offers a real message of peace and security. It is a pleasure to be associated with an organization, with a religion that says love for all, hate for none. And I think if we reflect on that, really that is what we all ought to be doing in the world today. The Ahmadiyya movement in Islam has been a leader in promoting peace and partnership between communities. Established in 190 countries, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community continues to preach a message of peace and tolerance even in parts of the world that persecute them for their beliefs. But this should, ladies and gentlemen, come as a surprise to no one, to anyone who knows this community. Ahmadis are renowned throughout the world for their devotion to peace, universal brotherhood, and the will of God, the core principles of true Islam. Uh, all of us, whatever our political persuasions, hugely admire the work of um, the Ahmadiyya community here in the United Kingdom as we do across the world. ये चीजें जड़ियाँ हैं इन अनु दूर करन तोड़े इस्तानों थोड़ी जी आशा नजर आती है कि ये तोड़े वर्गे लोग के आके ये जड़ियाँ दिलादी दूरी हो गई है उनको टाल सकते हैं। And you are also a beacon because you teach all of us that we will find the solutions to the problems of today through a rediscovery of the spiritual side of our lives as well as the material side. Let us make a resolution. Let us make this resolution to promote the message of peace and brotherhood, which is your message to mankind, that people of different religions should not quarrel and fight with each other, but should accept and tolerate and live together in that spirit of brotherhood and peace, which is the essence of your religion.
listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another episode of the Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio Station. You're listening to myself, Samar and Daniel Ahmed, and we will be with you, God willing, all the way up until nine o'clock. So, if you do have any questions, any remarks, any comments that you'd like to make, please feel free to do so. The number for you as always is 0208-687-7878 and of course you can hit us up on our socials on Twitter and on Instagram at Voice of Islam UK um, but just bringing you uh, to in, in, well into the new week uh, it is Monday the 5th of December 2022 um, and we are going to be speaking about two very interesting topics today um, in the first segment we're going to be discussing rise in safeguarding cases after lockdown um, and in the second, we will be speaking about the Aboriginal uh, an, an, an Abri- uh, Aboriginal boys killing and how it puts a spotlight on racism in Australia. And so we'll be looking at uh, racism uh, as a whole in the second segment as well. Uh, but before we get into uh, these main topics, of course, if you are familiar with the breakfast show set up here on the Voice of Islam radio station, you'll know that we usually begin our day uh, or our show with uh, the the newspapers, um, the newspaper articles and of course uh, the headlines the front pages as well just to give you a roundup of uh, what's happening across the globe um, but yeah before we get into that Daniel how are you doing this morning I'm doing good how are you doing very Yourself? good very good by the grace yeah, of Allah the Almighty good to hear you <laughs> Likewise, exactly. Thank you. Um, so, uh, before we get into the uh, headlines, I think we'll quickly just go over the, the 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 weather as well. So today, England and Wales will be largely cloudy, with scattered showers. The focus uh, of these t- uh, t- uh, towards the east, Northern Ireland and Scotland will have sunny spells, with just the odd shower in places. Uh, and if we look at tonight, uh, well, clouds will tend to clear, with a mix of very cloud and clear spells for many winds will shift northerly with a few showers blowing into northern Scotland and down the North Sea coast Um, for tomorrow uh, we will see a cool northerly flow. Southern and western parts will be largely dry with sunny spells, but patchy cloud and showers will push into the north and east and these uh, wintry on the hills as well. Um, and if you look at the outlook from here to the end of the working week up until Friday, um, dry, bright but cold for many on Wednesday with wintry showers pushing into northern Scotland and potentially down the the North Sea coasts. Variable cloud will develop through the day. Thursday and Friday will continue cold um, with winds shifting northwesterly to bring a few wintry showers to northern and western parts of the UK, drier elsewhere, but with the odd shower in places as well. So that is the outlook from today all the way up until Friday. Um, so you are ready for the day as well. For, for today, it's uh, there's highs of 8 degrees and lows of 4 degrees. Uh, so it is fairly cold and I think it is time to take out the scarves and the hats and gloves now, isn't it? It's, yeah, uh, it's, really. it's awfully cold yeah. uh, these days. 
Um, I mean, I guess we can we can guess uh, um, what the head uh, headlines will be about today. Of course, three lions roar and Sterling uh, raid terror. Um, if you if 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 uh, you did watch the match uh, yesterday, uh, Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah the Almighty, uh, England uh, did have a uh, quite a victory. Um, yeah, really. Three three goals three, three goals to nil, um, and uh, and yeah, a, a, a strong performance. By, by the English team as well isn't it yeah really you know Senegal uh, tried to perform their best they tried to put the goals uh, in the first few minutes mm-hmm. but uh, they were not able to and uh, yeah quietly the, the the assists were very good as well from yeah. the England team as well Yeah. so I think it's a very good match and we are hopeful for the team to get into semis and quarters and semis and then finals as well yeah. so let's so first of all, very congratulations to all the England as well, and uh, let's uh, let's hope for the best. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, like you said, uh, but uh, f- the next match is against France, and that that yeah. is the the hardest one to date. Uh, yeah. So we we've we ha- we've had it pretty good so is it, far. Is it today or? Oh no no no! It's uh, I think it's uh, Saturday. Yeah. Saturday now. So so right. a, a few more. Uh, left uh, a few more matches left for, uh, for, the, for the round of 16 yeah it's, it's Japan versus Croatia yeah? I believe so I believe so yes yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so so yeah, some very interesting uh, games that we that that are c- coming up as well. Um, if we look at the newspaper headlines, like I said, of course, all of them uh, or most of them will be at least speaking about this. Uh, photographs of England footballers uh, celebrating their three nil win against Senegal at the World Cup feature across Monday's front pages. The I newspaper is among several to carry an image of Phil Foden, Harry Kane, and uh, Bukayo Saka. Um, Away from the football, uh, the I leads with an exclusive on energy firms targeting the homes of customers in fuel poverty. It says companies are using uh, contentious utility warrants, quote unquote, so they can force entry into the homes of struggling customers. And similarly, Metro, uh, the newspaper, makes a nod to England's next opponents, getting the headline here, our girl, or the newspaper said that England roared into the World Cup quarterfinals and we now face a thrilling clash uh, with the reigning champions, France. Mm-hmm. Yep. Millions of football fans are waking up to a Monday, uh, a monster Monday rather, and the hangover part two, quote-unquote, following the England squad's Victory, the Daily Star reports. And the Sun uh, pays tribute to the heroes of the World Cup England squad following their victory against Senegal. And its main story reports that England's Raheem Sterling had to race back from the tournament after an alleged armed raid uh, at his mansion while his fiancée and two children were inside. Wow. Um, the Mirror's Splash features the England uh, squad jubilantly celebrating the Sunday night win, carrying the headline Dream World, quote-unquote. It uh, also makes mention of Raheem Sterling's emergency flight home after his family mansion was burgled. Hmm, that's... And uh, it's by the Daily Mail. Uh, three Mendes uh, exclaims the Daily Mail paying tribute to the England squad 3-0 win. Its front page also reports an account 
uh, in former uh, former health secretary Matt Hancock's pandemic diaries about lobbying in support of a COVID contract by a conservative peer. Mm-hmm. People are getting sicker and poorer with a, a graping health and wealth divide between regions getting worse, The Guardian reports. It also uh, reveals that 2.5 million working age um, adults are not in employment because of their poor health, raising concerns uh, the government's levelling up agenda is being critically undermined. Hmm. Rail unions have rejected an 8% pay offer for workers and will press on with plans uh, for Christmas walkouts, the Daily Telegraph reports. One Conservative MP accused the unions of holding the country to ransom after the unions turned down the pay rise, uh, plowing ahead with the strikes planned for December 13, 14, 16 and 17. The Met Office is the latest organization set to strike as part of mass public sector walkouts, The Time reports. The forecasters are set to announce industrial action after the government argued that £28 billion of inflation-matching pay rises across the public sector are unaffordable. In-person midlife health checks will also be scrapped under plans to ease the burden on the NHS, according to what the paper has reported, with the face-to-face GP appointments to take place online instead. And the EU has promised help for companies to offset the impact of U.S. green companies, the Financial Times reports. Uh, its lead story carries warnings from Ursula von der Leyen that the Brussels must simplify and adapt uh, its rules on state aid following concerns that, that U.S. subsidies are being used to encourage European companies to relocate. Mm-hmm. So we can see that the joy at England's victor over Senegal is evident. Three Mendes uh, declares the Daily Mail's headline. Now for Le Showdown with France, says the paper. For The Guardian, it was three and easy as uh, England soar off the Africa Cup of Nations champions. Uh, the paper also pictures an ecstatic uh, captain Harry Kane embracing Phil Foden and uh, Bukayo Saka uh, after he scored England's third goal. The Daily Telegraph grows, uh, goes with the same headline and proclaims England uh, magnifique after their convincing win. Here we go. Um, a play on words for the, for the French word of yes uh, is written in bold on the front of of uh, the Metro, the French word being used uh, in a pun because of England's quarter-final clash with them on Saturday. The front page uh, shows the players cheering and fist-bumping um, and the manager as well, Gareth Southgate, clapping from the sidelines after what it calls a nervy first 30 minutes. Uh, we're ready, quote-unquote, insists the Daily Express. It says Harry Kane, uh, the captain, is relishing a battle with the defending champions after scoring for the first time in the tournament. The Daily Mirror calls it a dream world and in a nod to England's 1966 World Cup win and uh, and Christmas, the Mirror proclaims it's coming her home. (laughs) Rawsome uh, is the Sun's uh, verdict after the game and it also leads on the news that Raheem Sterling is flying home from Qatar um, after an armed gang raided his Surrey mansion. The paper says his fiancée and her two children were inside at the time. And away from the football, the eye reports that uh, energy firms are targeting customers having problems. 
paying their bills, like we mentioned earlier as well. The paper says an investigation it uh, it has carried out uh, has found that nearly half a million warrants uh, allowing companies to forcibly install prepayment meters have been granted in the past year. Energy UK, which uh, represents companies in the sector, says suppliers face difficult decisions, quote unquote, uh, dealing with customers in debt and warrants uh, are are a last resort. A former energy company worker tells the paper it is a national scandal. The Daily Mail, uh, Mail leads with a claim by former Health Secretary Matt Hancock that the Conservative peer Lady Moan used extraordinary aggressive lobbying in support of a COVID contract during the pandemic. And according to the paper... Mr. Hancock says in his new book that he felt pressured to try uh, to help a company which he doesn't name uh, win a contract to supply lateral flow tests. He said uh, he chose to ignore a message from her. Uh, the article says that a representative for Lady Moan declined to comment um, and that she has previously denied benefiting financially from COVID contracts. On its front page, uh, the Time uh, says that uh, as the pay-, pay storm gathers, the Met Office is set to become the latest organisation to join public sector walkouts. The Times also reports that GP appointments for midlife health checks will be abolished and uh, moved online instead uh, under plans to help ease the burden on the NHS. The paper says the scheme, which is being tested in Cornwall from today, will see patients answer questionnaires and take a blood sample at home instead. Uh, so that is the roundup uh, of uh, the the newspaper articles today. Uh, Danielle, was there anything which uh, specifically uh, caught your eye, uh, whether it was in regards to the front page headlines or even uh, from within the articles as well? Yes, yeah, certainly. Apart from you know the difficulties we are facing uh, uh, due to the financial crisis, and uh, yeah, apart from football as well, uh, something which caught my eye this morning is was that there was an eruption um, uh, in a mountain in Indonesia. So this is a news article. Um, this piece, this piece of article is by Mansoor Jamaluddin. Uh, from CNN. So the the article says that um, thousands evacuated after Indonesia's Mount Samurai erupts. Indonesia's Mount Samurai erupted on Sunday, blanketing roads and homes in volcanic ash and prompting evacuations of nearly 2,000 residents in East Jaka province. Uh, according to authorities in the country, a state a statement Sunday from Indonesia's Disaster Management Agency said no injuries or deaths have so far uh, been reported and uh, uh, have taken shelter in, uh, in public facilities including village halls and schools. More than 20,000 face masks have been handed out to mitigate respiratory health risks from volcanic ash, it added. Uh, Mount Samaru, uh, which lies around 6,640 kilometers, 400 miles southeast of the capital, capital Jakarta, uh, began erupting at 2.46 a.m. local time, uh, according to BNBP, 
videos shared by BNBP showed nearby villages covered in grey ash. Uh, Indonesia's Center for Volcanology and Geological Hazard Mitigation PVMBG said in a statement that the alert level of volcanic activity had been raised to the highest level for the agency warned residents to stay at least 17 kilometers away from the mountain uh, mountains eruption center uh, adding that volcanic ash had reached as far as 12 kilometers from the epicenter um, japan's agency said the plume from the eruption reached 15 kilometers into the air the agency said in a statement sunday there uh, had been no tsunami impact following the eruption and um, yeah so that was the news article which caught my eye this morning and certainly you know there are many more things going on here and there yeah. the issues uh, rising uh, regarding hijab in Iran and uh, yeah the many more things uh, yeah. uh, have you got any news yeah, there was one uh, which uh, specifically um, I, I was looking at as well. Haiti inside the capital city taken hostage mm -hmm. by by brutal gangs. So in Port-au-Prince, you cannot see the boundaries, but you must know where they are. Your life may actually depend on it. Mm -hmm. uh, competing gangs are carving up the, the capital, uh, kidnapping, raping and killing at will. Uh, they demarcate their territory in blood. Uh, cross from one gang's turf to another uh, and you may not make it back as well and I mean it's it's absolutely uh, it's, it's crazy I mean those who live here uh, mm -hmm. carry a mental map dividing this teeming city uh, uh, into green, yellow and red zones. Green means uh, gang free, yellow can be safe mm -hmm. today and deadly tomorrow and red is a no-go area. The, the green area is shrinking as heavily armed gangs tighten their grip armed groups control and terrorize at least 60% of the capital uh, and its surroundings according to to the Haitian uh, human rights group they encircle the city controlling roads in and out and the UN says the gangs killed almost 1000 people here uh, between January and June of this year I mean the Port-au-Prince is nestled between green hillsides and the blue waters of the Caribbean it is blanketed by heat and neglect the rubbish uh, is knee-deep in places, a putrid monument uh, to a crumbling state. There is no head of state. Uh, uh, I mean, the last one uh, was killed in office. No functioning parliament because gangs control the area around it. And the U.S.-backed Prime Minister Ariel Henry is uh, unelected and deeply uh, unpopular as well. And, and if you go to the BBC website, you can see... Um, a map uh, of it as well and it shows you the where multiple s gangs are um, and other such things as well and just uh, just to put into context um, that uh, what's been happening over there if you go back last year it's for, for 7th July uh, gunmen 
attack and kill President Jovenel uh, uh, Moise in his home in Port-au-Prince. Um, a week later, on the 14th of August, a 7.2 magnitude earthquake leaves 2,201 uh, uh, people dead. Um, if you come to this year, 11th of September, Prime Minister Ariel uh, Henry ends fuel subsidies, prompting a nationwide protest. Um, and the following day, Armed gangs uh, block the capital's main oil depot, um, preventing delivery of fuel and aid supplies. Uh, on the 2nd of October, cholera returns to Haiti. Uh, 7th of October, Haiti's government authorizes the prime minister to, uh, to ask for international military help. And then a month later, on the 3rd of November last month, Haitian uh, police uh, stormed the oil depot to to restore fuel supplies as well and i mean there there's so many different incidents uh, over here as well uh, being related on the bbc website um and you can see images as well of how criminals have taken the, mm. the, a country hostage and it's uh, it's absolutely terrifying um what's happened over there and and it just it just reminds me of uh, the Islamic teaching uh, when it comes to, to ruling uh, mm. as well, isn't it? That Islam teaches us that when you are in authority or when you are in a position of rule, then of course you should do so uh, with uh, with love, care and affection and you should always be mindful of the mm. people within your country and what's happening within your country, what's happening within that governance as well so that you can look after all the residents uh, and the inhabitants of uh, that area i mean if we mm. if we go to uh, the time of let's say hazrat umar who was uh, one of the caliphs mm. uh, one of the successors of the holy prophet muhammad may the peace and blessings of allah be upon him he uh, as the leader uh, of the uh, of the of the time of the area uh, he would go out uh, at night um, and he, uh, 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 cloaking himself uh, so that people cannot recognize him mm. right um, because if they saw who it was, then of course they would act differently and treat him differently. But he would go about uh, 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 during the the nights uh, over there in Saudi Arabia, um, and he would see to if any anyone was in need of anything, hmm. um, and he would go to families and see that oh, do they have anything to cook for for their children? And and if he saw that there was anyone uh, who hmm. was in need, then he would uh, go to their assistance. Uh, himself he wouldn't he wouldn't tell his uh, workers or mm. uh, other people who he could rely on or trust to to say that oh go to such and such person's house mm. and give them some groceries or other such things rather he would he would go himself uh, and uh, physically uh, look out for for such individuals as well and this is the this is the type of governance uh, that we need to have in which we we trust uh, the government uh, and we trust the leaders to to make the right choices and to to bring about some aid for mm. those people in need as well uh, and of course in some countries it's happening uh, exceptionally well um, but in other countries maybe there can be uh, some some level of uh, improvement as well yeah really certainly things we need to set right our priorities um, the government need to set uh, the priorities right and certainly you you know you also reminded me of uh, of an incident from the Islamic era as well and it's all it is also related um, to the Umar as well so uh, if I can you know properly recall 
that our you know worldwide Imam uh, Khalifa uh, Mr. Masroor Ahmad uh, he told that incident in probably in the last uh, uh, last Friday summer that when he was when Hazrat Umar was chosen as a Khalifa uh, Khalifa of the time uh, he asked the servant of Hazrat Umar that. Um, uh, tell me the good deeds he, the Umar used to do so mm-hmm. uh, he told that uh, he used to go in a cave where he, a blind man used to live mm-hmm. and so he went according to what he said so he went there and uh, uh, took some food for, for him and he put you know a bite of loaf into his mouth mm-hmm. and um he started chewing, but after after a while, he said that you are not uh, Umar. Sorry, you are not Abu Bakr. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he asked the Umar asked that how you came to know that I'm not Abu Bakr. I am somebody else. So yeah. he said that the because I'm blind and um, the I don't have any teeth as well. Mm-hmm. So Hazrat Abu Bakr used to chew that piece of loaf himself first, okay. and then put it into my mouth. And you just gave me the loaf of uh, piece of loaf into my mouth, and I wasn't able to chew it uh, uh-huh. very well. And so how he came to know? Yeah. So you know that's a very beautiful incident uh, regarding, as you have said before, that uh, uh, care and compassion is the foremost thing in uh, in Islam, yeah. and uh, it should be anywhere. So you know, following the teachings of Islam. Uh, we from we as a MDM Muslim Jamaat try to profess uh, these teachings as well. So yeah, hopefully, and uh, we we tread on the same path as well. Yeah, I mean, I, and it just put it, puts into perspective, isn't it? I mean, you're speaking about Hazrat Umar and Hazrat uh, Abu Bakr, mm-hmm. who of course were the successors of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, be the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and they were um, in their in their time. Um, mm-hmm. The most uh, influential, the the, the biggest people um, uh, in in uh, within the community, within the Muslim Ummah, mm-hmm. and uh, and for them to to go about and and tend to someone, uh, an individual, uh, in such a loving and caring manner, mm-hmm. um, it's it's deeply humbling uh, mm-hmm. that a leader would uh, would uh, would serve um, uh, just one individual in such a way, mm-hmm. um, and even during the the life. Lifetime of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. These two were such influential uh, and notable people within the community mm. that uh, I mean, everyone knew that these these people are are the, are the leaders, right? Mm. Um, and for them to 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 like I said, tend to someone, um, a, a, an individual with such care, it, it just uh, shows us. What kind of uh, level of love and affection we should have mm. within within our own circles as well? I mean, in in Islam, there's a narration of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in which he said that each one of you is a shepherd, mm. uh, so make sure you look after your flock as well. Um, and this, uh, this, uh, it, 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 we have, we all have our different circles. Mm. For one person, he might be a shepherd 
um, and he might be looking after the household mm-hmm. um, if, uh, and looking after the children. Um, another individual might be the, um, looking after a, uh, a group of children in school, uh, uh, mm. taking a class as a teacher. Um, for someone else, it might be that they're looking after their peers in their workplace. I mean, whoever comes within your circle, mm. uh, we are told that we need to show them a love uh, and affection and treat them with, uh, with the utmost care as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is exactly what Islam uh, teaches us in this regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, we're going to be going uh, straight to our first uh, segment for the day. Uh, we, we have two topics today. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, we'll go through that as well. The rise in safeguarding cases after lockdown is what we're going to be addressing now. And uh, an Aboriginal ab- ab- boy is killing uh, put spotlight uh, on racism in Australia uh, and so we'll be discussing that um, in the second uh, segment and this will be from about uh, quarter past eight uh, onwards as well. Um, so just getting straight into this uh, this first topic, uh, Daniel, the rise in safeguarding cases after lockdown. So hmm. after the lockdown, the number of safeguarding cases has more than doubled in a school in East Yorkshire. Mm. Uh, the school head teacher has stated that the figures are alarming. Schools are now having to identify the effects of the cost of living, uh, or the cost of living crisis on children as well. We often discuss the effects on adults and the economy, but the generation growing up in the midst of the pandemic is mostly overlooked. This uh, this segment will uh, will hopefully discuss the the different safeguarding ca- cases and what support children require in uh, the current state of affairs as well. So before we get into um, examples of children needing safeguarding. Um, or how we can raise uh, awareness on eating diso- disorders, for instance, as well, and, uh, and and the role of teachers and doctors in identifying abuse. Um, for the benefit of our listeners, Daniel, what, what is safeguarding? Um, so safeguarding, according to Google, it is um, that safeguarding is the action that is taken to promote the welfare of children and protect them from harm. Safeguarding means protecting children from abuse and maltreatment, uh, preventing harm to children's health and development, ensuring children grow up with the provision of safe and effective care. So, and furthermore, the NSPCC states, uh, safeguarding is the action that is taken to promote the welfare of children and promote and protect them from harm. So overall, you know, uh, safeguarding means, you know, protecting children from abuse and maltreatment, preventing uh, harm to children's health or development, and uh, uh, make sure that uh, the child has uh, the proper safe environment uh, to, uh, to nourish and flourish as well. And taking action to enable all children and young people to have the best outcomes. So child protection is part of the safeguarding process. It focuses on um, protecting individual children uh, identified as suffering or likely to suffer significant harm. Uh, this includes you know, child protection procedures uh, which detail how, uh, how to respond to concerns about a child. And um, 
Yeah, so f- there are many, many examples and examples of children uh, needing safeguarding. So a child appears to wear uh, layers of clothes and does not enter the school lunch area during lunch break. This could mean, you know, the child has no money to eat lunch or there is an issue with parents neglecting a child or an eating disorder. So there could be many, many reasons uh, if a child does not eat anything uh, at school, but still special care needed for that child so that we can, uh, you know, come up with the... with the proper outcome that what is the reason behind him not eating the lunch mm. uh, yeah or many more reasons or for example a child is late each day and looks tired this could be a child caring for a disabled parent uh, or a child appears aloof and withdrawn continuously or tearful uh, this could be a sign of abuse at home or upskirting at school or a parent contacts a teacher raising a complaint that her son has been receiving abusive messages through Snapchat and from other students at school. So, you know, there's also many cases uh, which are arising uh, due to uh, the social media use. And, uh, you know, because the children are vulnerable uh, in regards to when they use social media, they no, don't know what uh, what things they need to, you know, um, uh, put up uh, on the social media and what they shouldn't. And that's how they became the they become the target of uh, and they become the victims. Yeah. And uh, so we need to come up with such proper plans and uh, preparations in order to protect our ch- children and uh, making a safe environment for them to flourish. Yeah, no, no, most certainly. Most yeah. certainly. I mean, like, like you mentioned, there, there are a few things which uh, we can look out for. Mm. Uh, I mean, especially this is for, for the, the staff within the schools and, of course, other students mm. um, as well. But, uh, but yeah, li- like you said, it's, uh, there's, there's some uh, pro- uh, underlying things mm. which uh, we should be uh, on the lookout for as well. And if, any, if, if we do notice such things, mm. then, of course, we need to address them um in the proper manner as well mm-hmm. um more on this in just a short while but before we do so we do have with us on the line our first guest for the show uh, umera malik who is a clinical uh, 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 a clinical advice coordinator at beat eating disorders her role includes ensuring that all of Beat's services training campaigns and communications are founded on good quality evidence and guided by service user experience and clinical expertise prior to this umera worked on Beat's national helpline as well. Assalamu peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning, how are you? Very good, thank you. And yourself? I'm not bad, thanks. Awesome. Um, we're speaking about a very uh, important topic uh, here on The Breakfast Show um, today, rise in safeguarding cases after lockdown. Um, and b- before we get into the risk factors for eating disorders and recognising the signs early on and other such things, um, can you tell us uh, and our listeners a little bit about your organisation, please? Yeah, of course. Um, thanks for having us. So we're BEAT, um, we're the UK's eating disorder charity. And essentially our mission is to end the pain and suffering that's caused by eating disorders. So we support people who have an eating disorder, anyone who thinks they might have one, as well as those caring for somebody with an eating disorder. And we do that in a number of ways. 
we've got our national helpline that's open 365 days a year mm-hmm. um, where people can contact us for support or information. Um, you know, whether that's call, web chat or email, there'll be someone at the end of the line. Um, we've got a number of online support groups and a number of support services, like I said, for people with eating disorders or anyone supporting somebody. Um, and we do a number, a lot of campaigning and policy work to also ensure that, you know, anyone who's affected by an eating disorder is considered in wider work. Yeah, Mera, very good to hear from you. So please tell us a little bit about uh, what do you think is the reason uh, for the increased cases of eating disorder post-COVID and um, uh, what do we mean by the term eating disorders? Um, so an eating disorder is a serious and complex mental illness. Um, so we estimate that around 1.25 million people are affected in the UK, but the actual number might be a lot higher. Um and there's a lot of misconceptions about who they can affect, but we know that they can affect people of all ages, genders, backgrounds, and at any weight. So people might use disordered eating as a way to cope with difficult situations or feelings. And so there's a number of different types of eating disorders. For example, binge eating disorder, bulimia, anorexia. Um, and some people might not even fit the diagnostic criteria of the both eating disorders. And research actually suggests that you know, OSFED, which is the eating disorder where people don't fit the diagnostic criteria, might be the mm-hmm. most common one. And so everyone, you know, deserves the right support for whichever symptoms they might have. Mm-hmm. And so they can severely impact the quality of life that a person um, has, as well as those around them. But we know recovery is possible, and the sooner someone gets help, you know, the better their chances are of this. Mm-hmm. And coming to the second part of your question in terms of the rise in young people needing support during the pandemic. Um, there's been a major increase in referrals of children and young people, which is, is seen across NHS data. We've seen a demand, um, an increase in demand at beat. So between 2021 and 2022, we provided triple the number of support sessions in comparison to pre-pandemic levels. Hmm. Um, and if you go into some of those numbers of the NHS data, for example, between um, April and June of this year, nearly 3,000 children and young people began eating disorder treatment. Mm-hmm. But there were still over 1,700 young people waiting at the end of June, um, which is a considerable amount of people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, We know that the pandemic has had such a huge impact on children and young people, um, and there's been such an increase in anxiety and distress. I mean, if you think about early on in the pandemic, for example, there was a focus on stockpiling for some people that might have met a higher risk of binge eating. Um, people couldn't access the food that they needed for their meal plan or foods that they felt comfortable eating. There was a loss of normal routine, you know, limited access to school, work, friends, all the things that we need that can, you know, boost our mental health. Mm. Um, and, you know, those things that we do to look after ourselves. The additional strain on mental health, you know, children and young people might have had increased anxiety about the health of their loved ones. Um, and the, that ongoing sort of concern about when normal life could resume, you know, the life that we knew it before the pandemic. And so all those pressures are things that might have impacted and contributed to this rise that we're now seeing in eating disorders. Yeah, no, no, most certainly, most certainly. And it is... Uh uh, a sensitive uh, topic as well and of course it does need to be addressed uh, with proper care as well um uh, what are the risk factors for for eating disorders um, so there can be a number of risk factors and so it's complex and there are a variety of reasons why an eating disorder might develop 
Um, for some people, it might not be clear what led them to develop an eating disorder, but the existing sort of research shows that um, genetics can play a role, um, as well as personality traits such as perfectionism, or somebody might, you know, have negative body image or low self-esteem. Um, and then there's also environmental factors that can contribute to, can contribute to disordered eating developing things like grief, abuse, um, stress, traumatic events. But, you know, nobody's ever to blame for experiencing an eating disorder. And like you said, it's a sensitive topic. And so we'd like to reassure people that support is available. Mm-hmm, yeah. And Umara, so how can we educate, uh, you know, parents and teachers in recognizing the sign early on? Yeah, um, so there are a number of warning signs of an eating disorder. Mm. Um, for example, people might say they've eaten, they might say they're going to eat later on, or that, you know, they might say they've eaten more than they actually have. Mm-hmm. Um, things like strict dieting, avoiding food, hiding food, taking a long time to eat meals, um, Physical signs can include, you know, weight loss, tiredness, stomach pains. Um, for certain eating disorders like bulimia and binge eating disorder, people might eat large amounts of food. Mm-hmm. Um, they might purge after food or after binging by vomiting, over-exercising or using laxatives. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't always visible signs, so it's important to watch out for people how people might be feeling and, you know, the impact that food might be having on their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anyone is concerned about, you know, some of the things I've mentioned, we've got a full list of warning signs on our website as well mm. um, in terms of educating parents and teachers um, you know we hear so often from anyone supporting a loved one and how vital they can be for supporting somebody who's got an eating disorder and you mm. know we strongly believe that families, teachers, parents need to be empowered to help their loved ones and given the information that they need given how you know how much of an important role food plays in our daily lives mm. um, So we've got an online training platform for school professionals, which is available on our website, meateatingdisorders.org.uk. Um, that's called SPOT. And so it's a space for teachers to access e-learning modules, connect with other school professionals mm-hmm. um, to share information and advice. We've also got a similar platform for par- um, carers called POD, which again is similar, but for, you know, for any family member or loved one supporting somebody, they can... Um, learn about eating disorders, get advice, get support, get information, mm. you can speak to eating disorder experts and connect with others in a similar situation, which we hear so often from people that can be so helpful, you know, to speak to somebody who's going through a similar thing, has maybe spotted the similar signs. And mm. so we've got a number of support services, you know, groups, individual coaching, and again, offering that peer support and that space to be able to share concerns. Mm. Um And if anyone's worried about somebody they know, you know, we'd encourage them to speak to their loved one. Um, and it might be helpful to plan ahead for that conversation, think about whether you want to do it over a phone call, a text, um, and trying to speak to them outside of meal times, as we know that can be a stressful time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I mean, it just goes to show how important it is for us to educate ourselves Uh, upon the topic uh, before addressing and before speaking with others uh, in that regard as well so that you we, we, we know how to address them uh, and what uh, key things we should be talking about and and also what key things we should be avoiding as well because there's a lot of uh, different things that we can and should say uh, but at the same time there's a lot of things that we shouldn't say and uh, we should definitely refrain and avoid uh, uh, as well um, so yeah Jazakla thank you for that um, also uh, Amira, most of 
uh, all, what kind of support do do children uh, in particular suffering from eating disorders uh, require? Um, so we know that the sooner somebody can access quality treatment, the higher their chances of making a full recovery, um, which is why it's so important, like you said, to have that conversation and to educate ourselves as well about what is helpful to say and what might not be so helpful to say, um, so that children and young people have that safe space to be able to open up. Um, the first step to accessing support would be to speak um, to you know the children or young person's GP. Um, or to speak to a local eating disorder services, some services will accept self-referrals. And it's about, you know, highlighting the impact that food might be having on their life. Um, on our website, we've got this great GP leaflet, which we know how daunting it is to speak to a GP about um, a potential eating disorder. And so it addresses some common misconceptions. You know, it's got space on there for you to plan and it's also got space for um, a parent or carer um, if they're taking their children, ch- child or young person to the GP. Um, and like I said earlier, we've got our helpline that's open 365 days a year from 9am to midnight during the week and 4pm to midnight on weekends and bank holidays. Um, our number is 0808 Um So we run a variety of online support groups. We've got a bunch of information on our website as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've got a dedicated team who are there to support anyone affected by anything further, even if, you know, they're unsure of what, what might be going on. So would, you know, always encourage somebody to reach out, even if you think just a bit more information would be useful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and just lastly there, um, uh, from your website as well, in the in the, 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 the the media guidelines and other such things, there are a few key facts as well. Um, and it states that there's, uh, over here in the UK, uh, there's an estimated 1.25 million people um, suffering from uh, eating disorders as well. And obviously we know that eating disorders can affect anyone of any age, race, gender, sexuality or background as well. Um, but, it, but it also, studies also suggests that up to 25% of people with eating disorders are, are male, which uh, which means um, around 75% of them are, are female, isn't it? And so um, I just wanted to ask in that regard as well, why is there such a big uh, uh, difference uh, between the male and female um, uh, eating d- d- disorders as well of, of people who have it? Is, is there, do you think there's, there are some specific reasons due to this? So, I mean, in terms of the facts themselves, we know that a lot of the research has been conducted in women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the actual number of eating disorders, might, the actual statistics might be different. Okay. Um, we know that, for example, men might struggle um, to come forward um, and speak about an eating disorder, um, other symptoms that they might have. Um, and which is why this year, I mean, in February, during Eating Disorders Awareness Week, we'll be highlighting eating disorders in men. Um, some services have said that they're admitting more men, but this might also mean that more men are seeking help and more men are recognised as having eating disorders rather than the fact that, you know, more men are developing the illness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, thank you for, uh, for, for for that and for answering our questions as well, sharing your insight uh, into this uh, this very important topic. Uh, and I'm sure many of our listeners would have uh, found that useful as well. Uh, so thank you once again, and we hope you have a, a wonderful day ahead as well. You too. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Bye bye.
020-687-7878 is the number for you to call. That was Umaira Malik, a clinical advice coordinator at Beat Eating Disorders. Uh, her role, uh, like we mentioned earlier as well, includes ensuring that all of Beat's services, training, campaigns and communications are founded on good quality evidence and guided by service user experience and clinical expertise as well. Uh, prior to this, Umaira also worked on Beat's national uh, helpline as well, which we which she spoke a little bit uh, about as well. Um, and, I mean, some very interesting things that we've seen from that discussion. Um, uh, and, and, of course, it's all about raising awareness, isn't it? It's all about mm. understanding yourselves as well, um, what this is all about, and, and then further educating others around us as well. Um, if we go to the 3rd of November um, last month in the BBC News, they featured an article on East Riding Schools see, sees rise in safeguarding cases after lockdown. Post-corona outbreak, the number of uh, safeguarding cases has doubled in East Yorkshire schools, like we mentioned in the introduction for this uh, this segment as well. Mm. And they've rec- recorded 265 incidents since September, compared with 102 at the same time of uh, same time of year before mm. lockdown. Head teacher, of course, described figures as alarming. Education is set to 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 the backbenches as teachers have to pick up the pieces. Uh, schools are seeing more children subject to domestic violence and financial constraints, whilst schools are also suffering financial constraints as well. Schools director Yoin uh, Rush told the committee it was important to try and intervene earlier and work to create a climate where pupils can feel a sense of optimism, quote-unquote. And I think, uh, Daniel, Mm -hmm. that is essential over here, isn't it? To to, uh, give... Uh, a sentiment or a feeling of mm. uh, of uh, of hope, of uh, optimism uh, within the schools as well for the for the students, especially um, for instance, like the examples that you were giving, uh, mm. coming late to school, um, being tired uh, at mm. school, um, uh, having a lot of layers on, not going to the the cafeteria where mm. where, where lunch is served, um, and other such things as well, uh, things that we need to to look out for not being attentive mm-hmm. um, and other such things as well. Um, we will be speaking a little bit more about this after the news. Uh, we're going to be speaking about raising awareness uh, on eating disorders. Of course, that is one of the many uh, ways in which uh, we can help. We'll talk about the role of teachers and doctors in actually identifying uh, abuse as well, uh, the effect of lo- uh, lockdown on, on safeguarded, uh, safeguarding cases. And of course, we'll be um, uh, talking about what Islam teaches us in this regard as well. Um, in in regards to uh, to poverty as well, to giving to charity, um, and of course uh, mental uh, health in itself as well. Um, and once we do come back, of course the the second segment uh, is also an interesting one as well. So do stay tuned for that uh, Aboriginal boys killing. How it puts spotlight on racism in Australia as well. So don't go anywhere and join us after the eight o'clock news. Allah 
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. Just a quick time check for you. It is two minutes past eight on Monday, the 5th of December 2022. And we are speaking about eating disorders um, and in particular um, how there's a, there's been a rise in safeguarding cases after the lockdown as well. Um, uh, for those of us, uh, for those of you, sorry, who are just tuning in, um, this is the topic that we are uh, we are still speaking about. Uh, and then after the after we're done with this, uh, we're going to be speaking about uh, Aboriginals boy uh, boys killing uh, puts a spotlight on racism in Australia, uh, and we'll be discussing uh, that uh, later on as well. But uh, uh, Daniel, there's of course there's been a, a raising raising awareness on eating disorders is uh, hugely important isn't it and we spoke about this with our guest um, as well um, Umera Malik so, I mean what what's what, what is this how how can we raise awareness uh, on eating disorders yeah um, so as for we were speaking with our first guest so yeah, you know there are many ways for example if a child goes to school the um, you know the teachers are responsible for 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 his you know upbringing and uh, promoting that thing and at home the parents are responsible so both uh, parents and teachers need to be educate, uh, educated uh, regarding this matter. And, you know, according to Seeds of Hope, the following are suggested ways of raising such awareness. For example, um, attend a local event, uh, avoid commenting on appearance, uh, advocate for uh, awareness and work towards ending stigma. Um, consider donating to an organization of your choice this month. Uh, create a body positive image on social media, and share your story if you if you have a good body uh, image issue. If uh, if you have a body image issue and help someone who is suffering this way, uh, you know there are so 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 many ways um, uh, helping those people who are suffering uh, this illness. And uh, first, we need to identify that they are going through such thing, and then we need to you know take such measures uh, with uh, which are you know helpful and with but with uh, care and compassion as well, because. Uh, that's, that's the key thing uh, here while you know tackling um, the, this uh, disorder um, and you know um, so similarly there are many many more ways for example um, the role of teachers and doctors in identifying uh, abuse is really really vital and important mm-hmm. And um, so their role is to identify early the cases of abuses and, uh, you know, follow the their respective professional guidelines. So uh, they can involve various social services and uh, other health organizations, uh, depending on the type of abuse found. Uh, fund, found. Uh, they can refuse to engage with the abusers and a doctor can refuse to treat, uh, treat the abuser. And uh, not every teacher is trained 
to engage with such children. There are specialist uh, teachers who get involved. Uh, doctors are trained widely through the MBA and uh, follow the GMC guideline and guidelines. So there are many ways uh, which you know uh, there are many specialists available, uh, specialist teachers, specialist doctors, professionals available for such things um, and. Uh, you know, uh, for example, we can, you know, uh, also make a recreational uh, programs for such people mm. uh, where they can have uh, such an environment where they can, you know, um, they can have a sense of optimism and they can flourish in the best possible manner. Yeah. 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 No, no, most certainly. Most certainly. Um, and the effect of lockdown on safeguarding cases. Well, the, the, a study done via King's College uh, by Dr. Jenny Dis, uh, Driscoll, uh, Dr. Aisha Hutchinson and uh, Dr. Anne Lorick, School of Education, Communication and Society, 16th April 2020, on proposing changes to legislation to prevent a negative future lockdown uh, effect of safeguarding cases highlighted. That safeguarding requires uh, contact and not distance. But during the lockdown, universal services that we rely on to, to identify struggling families or early signs of abuse and neglect, such as schools and children's centres, uh, for example, were closed. Um, while early intervention and parenting support services such as health visitors and family support workers are greatly reduced, um, and social distancing measures um, have impacted enormously on the ability of frontline professionals, including social workers and mental health workers, to see mm -hmm. children and families face to face and greatly affected the work of the family law courts. Uh, in healthcare, the um, redeployment of professionals from community services to acute care has had a massive impact on the child protection workforce capacity. Uh, Childline has reported that calls um, uh, have risen, particularly from uh, children feeling isolated at home or worried about parental disputes um, and the withdrawal of support from schools and other professionals, uh, such as mental health counsellors as well. More on this from uh, our next guest uh, for the show. We do have with us on the line Hugh Mayers, uh, who works for the Mental Health Foundation on the Becoming a Man project. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Wa alaikum salam and good morning to yourself. Uh, good morning. Thank you. Jazakallah for being with us. Uh, thank you. Um, we're speaking about a, a very important topic here, rise in safeguarding cases after lockdown. Um, we're speaking about uh, eating disorders uh, and, of course, the effect that COVID has had on us as well. Um, mm -hmm. But the, the, just getting straight into it, the first topic, the first question that we wanted to ask you was if you can start off by telling us a little bit about your work, especially with regards to the Becoming a Man project and what that entails, what it involves as well? Oh, absolutely. It'd be a pleasure. Um, so the Becoming a Man Project, or BAM, the acronym, mm -hmm. is a mentoring stroke counselling programme that runs in schools. We're in six schools at the moment, um, three in Lambeth, um, where we're completing some, a three-year programme of research. But basically, the research has gone so well to date that we've now entered into the borough of Islington. Oh, and the, nice. the, um, the programme basically is once a week, um, sessions with, with um, boys it's just for boys um, mm -hmm. from the ages of year 8 to, to year 11 and um, you have an element which is taught an element which is process 
and mentoring and, um, and it's, it's movement, it's interaction, it's group activity, as well as um, some presentation material. And, and we basically make sure that the boys have fun, mm-hmm. but they, we create an environment of safety and respect, but also we challenge them mentally to think about the kind of men they want to become. Yeah, um, please um, can tell us uh, also the what are the main reasons for increased mental health issues in school children post uh, COVID. Yeah, I think that the um, the lockdown has had a um, the, the knock on from the lockdown. Uh, some of these children were, you know, isolated for um, you know significant periods of time. But these are the developmental years, so mm-hmm. the, the knock on effect, psychological effect, has been immense. But also there has been um, those that have been exposed to domestic abuse, not just domestic violence, but abuse because of the lockdown. It intensified um, family troubles and stresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, intensified those those factors as well. So there's a there's a knock on from that as well. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And and uh, for the, for the benefit of our listeners as well, we did quite a few shows on that mm-hmm. uh, during the pandemic as well, because of course um, at that time uh, everyone was isolated within the homes, and you were staying with the abuser as well. And of course that uh, that uh, that's a very uh, difficult thing in itself as well. Mm-hmm. So so you can go back and listen to that as well. Um, Hugh, what what are the? Uh, I mean, do you think there is a difference when it comes to the issues that young males? face in comparison to females you mentioned that this is the the bam becoming a man project is uh, for for boys isn't it from uh, yeah, year yeah. 8 to year 11 hmm. yeah definitely i think that um, um as the scripture says a male is not like the female and the female is not like the male so yeah. i think that um men and women or boys and girls will face um, challenges that are quite common right as human beings in life growing up um however there is some certain unique factors that boys will face and girls will face and, and um, I think that there's something about the role of men changing in Western society and so boys really trying to understand what it means to be a man is being kind of redefined mm-hmm. and you know there's sometimes challenges to do with masculinity and you know more complex issues yeah. and so yeah there's a very unique element um, working with the boys closely working with working in two different institutions and you know can clearly identify that you know young men Boys growing into manhood have a specific challenge or specific challenges, should I say, that they they face. Very mm. unique. Mm. So, who are the most uh, common factors uh, youngsters are finding difficult to manage um, with the current cost of living crisis, in um, and in, in the post pandemic phase? Yeah, the cost of living crisis has really hit a lot of, um, I would say, young people from more economically modest backgrounds because. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a there's a there's a fall on I'm sorry there's a knock on effect in the sense of you know if families are struggling mm. by by definition you know children will end up having to wear shoes that are for the, that need to be replaced but they may have to struggle and repair shoes or sometimes not having lunch money or you know um, not have a complete uniform well, you can you can see the signs and, and, and symptoms of that uh, economic pinch and the, and the young people are actually feeling it. Yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely. And how can we actually pick up uh, signs of self-harm uh, as well early on? And most importantly, how can those uh, individuals be supported? Um, if you have a concern regarding self-harm, then the one thing um, that you have to remember, and this is a take, definitely a takeaway message, um, mm. is not to be afraid to ask somebody um, either if they self-harm or if they're thinking about ending their life. Mm. The, the mm. common mythology is that 
if you mention suicide to somebody, you'll give them the idea to do it, and that's absolutely not true. Mm-hmm. The reality is that if they are that distressed, they would have considered it, even if it was just a passing thought, they would have really considered it. But you really need to um, to uh, not be afraid to ask that question. But yes, there is a difference between suicide and self-harm in the sense of some mm-hmm. people self-harm just as a coping mechanism, just to, to alleviate the pain, like some people self-medicate with drugs or alcohol. Yeah. Some people self-harm mm-hmm. just as a way to manage the psychological pain. Some of the early signs and symptoms um, is if people are covering, like for example, in summer, maybe wearing long coats, long jackets, and I'm not talking religiously, like women always cover themselves, Muslim women always cover themselves, I'm saying. Mm. But boys are, um, you know, not wearing t-shirts or something, um, and their body language, or they look a little bit, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, uh, like not, they're isolating, yeah. but they also look a bit withdrawn, and these may be, Maybe not. They're actually possibly signs yeah. of um, mm-hmm. expiration, you know. Mm-hmm. And, there, and there are mental health charities. There's the NHS website that has information about um, the Mental Health Foundation website, our website, the Mind website, the NHS website. You know, mm-hmm. Young Minds, Healthy Minds. All these organisations have um, information that would be able to um, furnish you with more, you know, facts about self harm. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. Uh, thank you for, for, for sharing that with us. And, and I'm sure many of our listeners would have found that useful. It's, it's in particular uh, for to, for the signs that we should be on the lookout for. Um, and if anything, if we do spot any such cases, uh, then of course, what we should do at that time as well. Uh, beautifully put there. Thank you. Um, and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead as well. And yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call. That was Hugh Mayers, uh, who works for the Mental Health Foundation on the Becoming a Man project, sharing his thoughts with us um, and some some tips as well, some some things that we can do in our own day to day lives as well, on how we can make a difference, the things that we should look out for, and what we should do if we spot any of those things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, uh, just coming towards the end of this uh, this first segment now, Daniel. What wh- when we talk about this topic? What does uh, what comes to mind um, from the Islamic perspective? I mean, there's there's uh, poverty. There's looking after one another. There's uh, they're giving uh, to to charity and other such things as well. Maybe if you can share uh, one or two references or one or two examples uh, for the benefit of our listeners as well mm. um, in which they can uh, understand uh, what Islam teaches us uh, in this regard. Yeah, whenever we try to look from the Islamic perspective or through the Islamic lens, uh, you know, f- from each and every angle of, of life, we always find the solutions for it. Very beneficial, comprehensive, sublime teachings of Islam gives the best solutions uh, to us in regards to each and every matter of our daily life uh, matters. And... Uh, uh, the Holy Prophet Wasallam, uh, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He once said that, "Do not curse a child when you see when you uh, when you curse uh, the child. Uh, the angels also curse on him. Uh, let it be like that, and like that he becomes." Uh, incidentally, this also means that angels are responsible for the consequences of actions. When you tell a child it is bad. It draws an imaginary picture in which it figures itself out as bad and does in fact become bad. Uh, Therefore, do not uh, abuse a child, praise it and teach it to be good. 
Um, and furthermore, for example, in chapter 2, verse uh, 84 of the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty instructs Muslims to speak kindly at all time, uh, to be considerate of the feelings of other people and to love and protect uh, vulnerable members of the society, uh, such as orphans and children or those living in poverty or destitution. Um, and thereafter, in chapter 51, verse uh, verse 20, the Holy Quran states um, that the hallmark of a true Muslim is that he should care for all of God's uh, creation uh, and should comfort and support those in need, whether they seek their help or not. Hence, it is not enough for a Muslim to wait until uh, someone asks for help. Rather, it is his duty to recognize the suffering of others and to make whatever sacrifices are required in order to help them overcome their uh, challenges or troubles. So it, it is really important that firstly you identify the suffering of other people and uh, then you uh, you make sure you are ready to do the um, sacrifices uh, which are important uh, in order to help them overcome their challenges and troubles and um, Similarly, uh, treading on the same path of the uh, on the teachings of Islam, which the Holy Prophet, uh, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, taught us, um, our current Imam, uh, head of the worldwide MD Muslim community, the Mr. Masur Ahmad, uh, uh, said once uh, at the address on the inauguration of Nasir Hospital, Guatemala. Um, Serving humanity is a form of worship of Allah, uh, whilst highlighting the work of Humanity First, uh, which is an organization uh, of the MD Muslim community serving in more than 50 countries. And he states that whilst highlighting the work of Humanity First and the community that we seek no praise and no reward for such efforts because we are merely doing what our religion has taught us to do. Our motivation and our desire to serve others is driven entirely by the teachings of Islam. Um, the guiding light for any true Muslim is the Holy Quran, which was revealed to Islam's founder, the Holy Prophet Muhammad. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Time and again, the Holy Quran has instructed Muslims to serve mankind and... Um, um, to serve mankind and to fulfill the needs of those who are suffering uh, or are deprived in any way. So it requires Muslims to be selfless and consumed by love for others. Uh, it requires us to uh, be ever ready to make sacrifices for the sake of the peace and well-being of other people. Uh, furthermore, in chapter 90, verse 15 to 17, uh, Muslims are instructed to feed the hungry, to show empathy and love for and, uh, orphans, and to help anyone in need, especially those mired in poverty or who are defenseless and weak. Uh, Muslims are taught to be the one uh, who comfort um, and love those people who have been failed by the society and to carry the weight of their burden on their own shoulders. And uh, Muslims are duty-bound to help underprivileged people so that they can stand upon their own two feet, live with dignity and be freed from their uh, desperate uh, circumstances. 
So in return, the Quran states that Muslim will be rewarded with increased spirituality, which in return will take them towards God Almighty and make them recipients of His pleasure. Um, similarly, in chapter 2, uh, verse now 196, the Holy Quran states that if a person wishes to save himself from humiliation, degradation, and ruin, he must be kind, generous, and do good to others without expectation of anything in return. And similarly, you know, there are many, many more verses in the Holy Quran which uh, yeah. which guides us uh, uh, in the in the same way. And uh, uh, it's our duty. So as I've told before, that it, a Muslim is a duty bound in regards to um, the in, uh, uh, you know helping other people and uh, the the help uh, and doing the you know certain things which you know ease the uh, mm, the, the the environment the climate of other people it's our duty and to perform our duty we should do our best and all verses I have quoted emphasize the fact that if a Muslim desire to attain you know the love of God Almighty uh, they should first show love to the creation of our God so. Um, hopefully, um, each our listeners, you know, uh, they do know that how beautiful the teachings of Islam are, mm-hmm. and um, so we should try and do our best as a Muslim to profess the teachings of Islam in the best possible manner. Yeah, no, no, most certainly, most certainly. Like you mentioned, I mean, we're duty bound to two things, isn't it? Hakukullah and Hakukul Ibad. Uh, the two these are the, the these are what it's uh, as uh, has been coined as um, in the Islamic terminology, the rights that we owe to God Almighty, our Creator, and the rights that we owe to His creation uh, mm. as well. Um, and uh, of course, what we're talking about here falls perfectly within that second category of uh, looking after one another um, and giving to charity and helping and assisting wherever mm. possible as well. Um, this does bring us uh, to an end for this segment. We'll be we'll be moving on to the second topic for the day now. Um, Aboriginal boys killing uh, puts a spotlight on racism uh, in Australia. So an Aboriginal teenager was killed on his way uh, walking home. The incident has raised questions on the pervasive racism uh, in the country. Uh, And although there are conflicting opinions about the motive of the attack um, and investigations are taking place, but many, including the Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, believe the attack was racially motivated. Mm -hmm. Uh, This segment will uh, discuss racism in the Western society and how it should be uh, tackled as well. But before we Mm -hmm. um, speak about... uh, um, um, uh, racism as a whole we'll just quickly go through the article and see what happened over there as well so mm. three weeks ago Aboriginal teenager uh, Cassius Turvey uh, was walking home from his Perth school with friends when a stranger allegedly pulled up in a, a utility vehicle and told the group to run passengers in the car allegedly chased down the Aboriginal boys uh, who were wearing their school uniforms before two were violently violently attacked. Uh, one victim was an already injured 13-year-old whose uh, own crutches were used to beat him. 
causing bruising to his face, uh, according to what the authorities have said. The other was a 15-year-old, uh, uh, and he's the one we are speaking about today as well, Cassius, who p- uh, police believed uh, believe was assaulted with a metal pole. Uh, the Nunga Yamataji boy uh, died 10 days later um, after suffering uh, seizures for, uh, and two strokes from his serious head injuries. The killing has sparked national grief and anger. Thousands of people have attended vigils for Cassius in more than two dozens place, a dozen uh, places across Australia, uh, with events also being held in the US and New Zealand. Others, uh, including Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, have said the attack was clearly racially motivated, um, quote-unquote. For many, it has evoked memories of high-profile killings of other indigenous teenagers, such as 14-year-old Elijah Doughty, uh, Aboriginal uh, and Torres Strait Islander uh, people, suffer disproportionate rates of violence. Uh, Statistics show in some parts of the country that they are six times more likely to be assaulted than non-indigenous people. Australia does have a shocking reputation around the world for this kind of violence, quote-unquote, according to what Dr. McGlade has said in this regard. Mm. Um, So, uh, Daniel, racism towards minorities, do you think this is overlooked within the modern world? Or, uh, I mean, what's, what's your take on this? I mean, as you said before here now, that... A 15-year-old boy uh, who was who police believe, believes that was assaulted with a metal pole. Yeah. You know that that's uh, terrifying and uh, really brutal. Yeah, uh, hearing that, uh, you know. So uh, we know that there are many, many, there are more instances uh, in the Western world where we hear such news, and especially you know uh, in America. Uh, there are many, many cases over there as well uh, where we have seen that the black people, yeah. especially over there, and they are targeted um, very often. So, in regards to Britain uh, living here, Britain is arguably the most successful, you know, multi-ethnic democracy in the world. Uh, there are many things to celebrate about the progress of Britain's ethnic minority groups. Before the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, employment rates were at historic highs for virtually every ethnic minority group. Uh, Children from some minority groups are performing better than the national average. And the proportion of black and Asian students securing a higher education place has risen uh, massively over the last decade. Uh, these trends are highly encouraging. Um, however, it is undeniable that uh, there remains some unjustifiable disparities between some of the Britain's ethnic groups. It is also undeniable that um, collectively as a society, we have not done enough to understand uh, the complexities of social and economic outcomes for different ethnic groups. Mm. Um, too often, you know, we have uh, viewed uh, ethnic minorities through the narrow lens of uh, BAME category, which is, you know, uh, black, Asian and uh, minority uh, ethnicity, uh, which, you know, the uh, grouping they're experiencing as if there are no meaningful differences between them. 
so you know uh, certainly i've just asked before that uh, what is uh, this issue that racism uh, in regards to um, the west uh, western society um how much racism is prevalent so yeah it's quite prevalent here as well sometimes it's you know uh, we just overlooked uh, the fact that um, racism doesn't exist in this part of the world mm-hmm. while certainly it does exist in this part of the world as well as i have given the example as well and uh, as i've said before the the supreme um um power of the world which is america usa uh, even in that country which is most developed um, we find many many cases over there uh, in regards to racism as well so anyway so we are talking about aboriginal originals uh, yes. that a 15 year old boy i believe has been killed yeah? yes yeah so can you just tell us about what is aboriginals yeah no, exactly. no so an aboriginal or indigenous person has been generally defined as a person who is a descendant of an indigenous inhabitant of australia or a member or a person of the aboriginal race of australia aboriginal australians could be the oldest population of humans living outside of africa where one theory says they migrated in boats 70,000 years ago australia's first people known as aboriginal australians have lived on the continent for over 50,000 years uh, genetic studies have revealed that aboriginal australians largely descended from an eastern eurasian population wave um, and are most closely uh, related to other oceanians um such as uh, melanesians um australian aboriginal people are one of the two distinct groups of indigenous people of australia it is generally held that australian uh, aboriginal people originally came from asia via insular southeast asia now uh, malaysia singapore brunei east timor indonesia and the philippines um, and have been in australia for at least 45 uh, to 50000 uh, years so 45000 to 50000 years um australian aborigines <clears throat> I believe to have numbered uh, 300,000 to uh, 1 million when uh, when when European uh, colonization began in the late 18th century but they were devastated by uh, uh, by introduced diseases and by the 19th century policy of passive pacification um pacification sorry by force in the early 21st century they were est- estimated to number more than 400,000 uh, most uh, aspects of their traditional culture have been sev- severely modified um, all aboriginal peoples have had some contact with modern australian society australian society and are all now australian citizens at the turn of the 21st century aboriginal interest in cultural revival was strong still um let's listen um to an audio clip of uh, his holiness um and this is taken from an address uh, that he gave to the guests at the annual convention in Germany uh, in 2017 uh, the worldwide head of the ahmadiyya muslim community hazim mirza masrur ahmed without shadow of doubt Islam's teachings are a guarantor for peace and security for all mankind. Its teachings are rooted in compassion, mercy, and humanity. Humanity, and it is these true 
Islamic values that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has endlessly emphasized and endeavored to spread across the world for more than 125 years. Hence, let me say again that under no circumstances does Islam permit any form of cruelty, injustice, or wrongdoing. From the very outset, Islam's teachings are those that seek to unite mankind rather than to drive a wedge of wedge between the people of different communities. Indeed, the very first chapter of the Holy Quran, which Muslims believe to be the world the word of God revealed to the founder of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, states that Allah the Almighty is the Lord of all the world. As such, Allah the Almighty is the God not only of Muslims, but is the God of Christians, Jews, and the people of all faiths, and indeed the people who hold no faith and do not even believe in his existence. Thus, Allah is the ultimate provider and sustainer for all of the mankind and he has showered his grace and mercy upon all people, no matter their caste, creed or color. The Arabic word used in Quran They are Rabbil Alameen, uh, Rabbul Alameen, wherein Allah the Almighty has used the word Alam, which has been translated into English as words. However, no translation can reflect the true scope of the word, the, the word uh, Alam, which is incredibly vast and far-reaching. By using this word, Allah the Almighty has made it clear that He is not just the provider and sustainer for people of certain religions or for particular eras. Rather, He is creator and nourisher of the people of all nations, of all beliefs, and for all times. Thus, Words are, uh, these words are filled with unparalleled beauty and great wisdom, wherein they have enshrined the sanctity of the principle of universal equality and made it clear that there is no place in the world for any form of racial or national superiority. These words make it clear that Allah's blessings and favors are not limited to any particular race or ethnicity, but are bestowed indiscriminately. Whilst these are Islam's true teachings, it is a cause of regret that racism and bigotry remains prevalent 
in the world. Indeed, amongst the very people who allege that Islam discriminates against non-Muslims are individuals who themselves are guilty of what they falsely charge Islam with. For example, recently an American politician stated that white people had contributed far more to human, to human civilization than other races, such as black people or Asians. Whilst it was also reported that another senior American policymaker has stated his belief that white people were genetically superior to others. Such extremist views can only fuel resentment and despair amongst the people of other races and ethnicities. In complete contrast, Islam proclaims that all people are born equal no matter where they hail from or the color of their skin. It teaches that no race is superior to another, nor are the people of any particular descent more gifted than others and that Allah is the provider for all of mankind. Whilst it is true that how far a person progress in life is dependent upon his surroundings and his personal effort. The basic faculties granted to mankind remain the same and are not defined by geography or race. Indeed, over 1,400 years ago, in what came to be known as the farewell sermon offered after his final Hajj, the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, addressed this very subject as he gave a momentous speech that laid the foundations for world peace. In words that are as timeless as they were enlightened. He proclaimed that all people were born equal and that a white person was not superior to a black and nor was a black person superior to a white. Similarly, he said that an Arab could not claim superiority over a non-Arab and nor could a non-Arab claim <coughs> superiority over an Arab. Brandishing an <coughs> eternal torch illuminating the path towards universal human rights, the, the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, pronounced that all human beings were born equal and had the same rights. Certainly, as we now live in a time when Islam is uh, so misunderstood, it is very important to reiterate this enlightened principle that proves that Islam is against all forms of discrimination and prejudice. <clears throat> it is not only in our physical and uh, 
mental attributes that Allah has made us equal, but we believe that for the sake of our spiritual well-being and development, Allah has also provided the means of salvation and guidance to all prophets of the world, uh, all peoples of the world. In religious terms, Islam says that prophets have been sent by God Almighty to all nations and Muslims are commanded to respect and honor them all. Thus, we hold the founders of all religions in great esteem and can never contemplate speaking against any of them. That was His Holiness Hazimiza Masoor Ahmed. May Allah strengthen his hand. The worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, a portion of his address to to the guests at the annual convention in Germany back in 2017, sharing his thoughts with us. Um, of course, uh, in regards to this this very important topic uh, of racism and giving examples from um, the the farewell address as well uh, from the Holy Prophet Muhammad. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Uh, talking about the importance of um, of uh, of, uh, of 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 being one with one another and not having any sort of uh, racism in that as well um there are many ways in which we can tackle violence in modern society as well and 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 such uh, the, the, I'll, I'll give a few examples as well you can set up a neighborhood watch uh, or a community patrol you can uh, uh, it, which is in line with the police as well working with uh, with the police um you can make sure your streets and homes are well lit up as well um another way or another method in which uh, we can try to tackle violence within our own spheres within our own circles as well you can make sure that all the youth in the neighborhood have positive ways to spend their spare time through organized recreation tutoring programs part-time work and volunteer opportunities as well and i think this uh this is absolutely essential um, that uh, I mean, even we see from the narrations of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him as well. He's mentioned that in uh, in sitting idle, um, uh, that's when Satan comes, and that's when Satan attacks, isn't it? And when you're mm. when you're all alone and when you're not doing anything, um, that is when uh, such maybe let's say satanic thoughts can creep into your mind as well and so it's mm. always uh, it's always important to keep yourself occupied keep your, keep yourself busy in good in positive things um and of course uh, th- this can be it, it can be literally anything i mean we spoke about the rights that we owe to god almighty and the rights that we owe to mankind as well um you can you can do any one of these things you can render thanks uh, to all of the blessings that god almighty has bestowed upon you in the first uh, for, for, for the rights that we owe to God Almighty um, and uh, by 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 serving mankind by serving humanity we can uh, we can we can do other such things as well we can help other people out we can um, uh, we can gain knowledge and better understand things ourselves as well that's also uh, a way in which we can serve people because with that knowledge we will be able to then pass that on as well um, mm-hmm. and that's why it's always good to to keep yourself occupied 
in good positive things as well um and um, the next thing the next uh, t- uh, way in which we can try to tackle violence w- is in this regard as well we can mm. educate uh, ourselves on the root causes of violence as well so that we can better try and tackle them as well and tackling violence uh, and its root causes uh, and, and its root causes can improve the health and well-being of mm. individuals and communities and have wider positive implications for the economy uh, the economy as well it just goes mm. to show that uh, all of these things uh, we we can do and we should do within our own spheres mm. um and of course god willing we will see uh, a turn of events as well it's all about um i mean whenever we see a change it doesn't have to be a a huge campaign done by uh unesco or the world health organization or whatever of course they they mm. have its their their part to play and, and and a very crucial part to play not not taking anything away from that but the the difference that we will see is when all of us within our own spheres have an impact when me as an in an individual within my own household within my workplace within my friends and my community and with my peers and the people that i meet when i make a difference within that when you do the same mm. when our listeners also do the same when we when we have an impact like that uh, that is something which is absolutely crucial and mm. that is when we we will see a huge difference within uh, our societies as well and that's why all of the th- these things that we mentioned mm. setting up neighborhood watches community patrol making sure our streets and homes are well lit um keeping our youth uh, busy and occupied in recreation organized mm. recreation we, sh- we should say tutoring programs other such things this is what is going to make a difference and this is absolutely crucial um more on this and more on uh, what islam teaches uh, in uh, in this regard in just a short while but before we do so we do have with us on the line uh, muhammad ahmed imam muhammad ahmed khurshid uh, as missionary of the ahmadiyya muslim community serving in the northeast assalamu alaikum peace be upon you good morning and welcome to the breakfast show Wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah and jazakallah for having me. Jazakallah. Thank you for 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 being with us. We're speaking about a very important topic here on the Voice of Islam radio station today, mm. uh, here at the breakfast show. Um the uh, an Aboriginal boy's uh, killing uh, how it puts a spotlight on racism in Australia. And just um obviously while speaking about this um this this incident what comes to mind is racism as a whole, isn't it? Um and you being a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community the, the first question that I wanted to ask you in this regard was back at the time of the holy prophet Muhammad may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him at the inception of uh, this of the of the the Islamic religion what do we see at that time do do we see that uh, of course there is based in saudi arabia um there were people coming from different uh, um uh, regions of of the country as well of uh, different countries as well from uh, africa as well was was racism prevalent at that time and if it was what did the holy prophet of islam may the peace and blessings of allah be upon him teach his followers uh, to sort of eradicate um this problem and 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 get rid of it from the root cause as well right so you know it's it's, it's interesting that we're entering into the year 2023 and these problems are still prevailing all around the world 
whether it's the west, the east, the south, whatever one may be, it's all over the globe. Interestingly enough, one of the first people to eradicate slavery from it, from the word go, mm-hmm. was the Prophet, peace be upon him, Prophet Muhammad, mm-hmm. peace be upon him. And one of the first converts to Islam was in fact a slave um, who was of African origin. And his story is actually one of the most interesting stories found in the history of Islam. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, his name was Bilal. Bilal was one of the first people to accept the Prophet for, for the message. And the message, that, that, that's the root uh, answer to, to all the problems. Because the message is so clear, so profound, that when Bilal was being uh, as a slave, when he was being taken in as a slave, and he was facing all sorts of persecutions, word came out that there is a new man in town by the name of Muhammad, uh, peace be upon him. And he says things along the, along the lines uh, of that all people are equal, whether you're black or white, Arab, non-Arab, um, no one is greater than the other one except by piety in the eyes of God Almighty. Mm-hmm. Now, this wasn't taken lightly by the people of Mecca. They said, no, we, we, we're the superior race. People of other races are, uh, are inferior to us. How dare him say this? It also, the question wasn't really always about God Almighty. Yeah. It was about the fact that we're superior. So how dare mm-hmm. this man come and tell us that no other races can be the same as you? And so when Bilal came to know of these new teachings, mm-hmm. he thought that I never thought in my lifetime as a slave who was sold throughout my life that the man would come and say that I'm the equal to my master and to other people around me. So this teaching inspired him that there's goodness out there and Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is the person to bring that good to the world. Mm-hmm. And he accepted Islam. Now this news wasn't taken lightly by his master, Umayyah. And the stories of public and private persecution carried out to Bilal, some of the most horrific forms of persecution ever told in history were done to Bilal. For example, in the scorching heat of uh, of Mecca, um, to be to having heavy stones placed on your back, no. to having street urchins, you know, put a rope around your neck and uh, and drag the body across the city of Mecca, wow. town of Mecca, um, to beating one uh, to, to the point where he becomes unconscious. Yeah. Hmm. So these stories are harrowing uh, uh, stories of, of narrations about his life. And it was stated that when Umayyah, his master, thought that Bilal is now dead. And in fact, one thing I forgot to mention is every time he was beaten, they would say, denounce Muhammad, peace yeah. be upon him. And he would say, Ahad, meaning God is one, yeah. God is mm-hmm. one. So he knew that people who say that, you know, I'm, in fear, I'm superior than you, they forget the fact that there is God Almighty who is superior than all. And I and I worship that God Almighty, right? So he was telling them in a way that doesn't matter what you do to me now, because I've accepted God Almighty, I've accepted his messenger, peace be upon him, I'm going to stand by what I believe in. So when he was about to be <clears throat> killed in, in, in just through brutal persecution, it is stated that he heard the, the voice of Abu Bakr. Hmm. Uh, may Allah be pleased with him. He became, later became the first caliph of Islam. And it is said that Abu Bakr and Umayyah had a discussion about the price which needs to be paid to release Bilal. And uh, <clears throat> Bilal was released for, there's different narrations about this, 
But when he went to check, uh, there was still some life left in Bilal. And he said, look, I want to take him off you now and I want to pay whatever amount you, you said for Bilal. And uh, Umayyah mockingly told him that you've paid me a huge amount, right, for, for, for Bilal. He's, he's, he's no good for anyone now, right? Thinking mm. that he would be sold back into slavery and further persecution awaits him. And he's... Hazrat Abu Bakr told uh, Umayyah that regardless of the amount that you said, I had thought to myself that today I would release Bilal. Now, from that point, absolutely being on his on his end in terms of uh, physical life, mm-hmm. to being to becoming a Muslim, one of the first ten Muslim uh, to people to accept Islam, to becoming the first Muslim, meaning the first caller to prayer. Yeah. From uh, uh, becoming. Uh, from being a slave to becoming a literate Muslim, he became one of the greatest companions of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Now imagine mm. being a slave where you're told that one race is greater to the other one, to mm. becoming a Muslim where you pray together, regardless of race, color, uh, I guess popularity or you know yeah. your social status. You're all mm. praying in the same line in front of God Almighty. This has a profound effect on people of no, or, you know, wherever you, one may be in the world. And Bilal to this day is one of the most, um, I guess, famous Muslims in the world. Yeah. Because many Muslims to this day, many people in fact relate to his story and say, this is, how, how come this is still happening in 2022? And you know, it's been, an, it's been over a thousand years since he came, but this still happens. But it goes to show how powerful the message of Islam was in the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him. People didn't just accept mm-hmm. because oh, he brought the message of one God. Of course, that was the main reason. Yeah. But mm-hmm. through his conduct, he taught people that it doesn't matter. In fact, his last address as, as a, uh, before he passed away, historic address, he said that whether you're white, it doesn't make you greater than the, than the black. And the black isn't greater than the white. The Arab isn't greater than the non-Arab. And the non-Arab isn't greater than the Arab except by piety and good action in the eyes of God Almighty. This ad- this address was maybe from 1500 years ago, hmm. 14, 1500 years ago, and I think it's fully applicable to this day and age, in this day and age, right? Yeah. So people people sometimes uh, underestimate the power that the Prophet, peace be upon him, by uh, establishing equality amongst all. This had a profound effect on the Muslims at that time. Yeah, no, most definitely, most definitely. I mean, especially keeping in mind uh, how proud uh, a people are the the Arab are, isn't it? I mean, keeping that in mind, mm-hmm. and then the address that you've mentioned uh, right there at the end as well, the farewell or farewell address, it just goes to show that uh, the 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 importance um, that Islam has laid down upon this fact, um, and 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 again, like you were saying, standing shoulder to shoulder, um, everyone, regardless of how rich. Uh, you are how wealthy or affluent you are or or, or what your race is or what your caste is um remember these are things which arabs had uh, had a huge pr- uh, pride over uh, but still the holy prophet of islam uh, um whilst addressing the muslims this is what kind of teaching he said another another beautiful thing that you mentioned actually was that it wasn't 
limited to just the freeing of a slave, isn't it? I mean, mm. it went one, it went an, another step further, and like you quite rightfully mentioned, um, Bilal, may Allah be pleased with him, is he's one of the most notable and uh, influential people that we see uh, within the Islamic history, and we can see the difference that he made and and such a huge role that he played. So 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 like you were saying, it's not just limiting it to to him uh, being freed. Uh, but rather he had a huge part to play within the Muslim Ummah as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. If, if I narrate one short story of, of Bilal, very interesting. When he um, uh, when they migrated from Mecca to Medina, mm-hmm. um, so this family came to the Prophet and said that, you know, we want our daughter to be married uh, to a Muslim. And he said, what about Bilal? Now the family walked away, thinking that because Bilal is, of course, not of, of Arab origin and so, and without saying anything, so they came back the next day, said, look, we want our daughter to be married to a Muslim. And he said, what about Bilal? Mm. This happened three times. Then on the third time, the Prophet told them that if I told you that Bilal was an inmate of paradise, would that be good enough for your daughter? Then they said, you know, oh, Prophet, that's all we want to hear now. Look at the shackles that were broken yeah. within society, right? So people underestimate that how influential the... The, the love and the care and, 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 and that the prophet gave to people around him whether you were you know he was a liberator of slaves yeah. he was the one who gave women rights i mean everything that can be spoken uh, can't be you know high enough high enough praise for the prophet peace be upon him Exactly, exactly. Beautifully put there. Uh, unfortunately, time has gotten the, gotten the better of us. We could speak about this topic at, at length, uh, but like I said, it, it is time for the nine o'clock news as well. So, Zakla, thank you for for being with us, sharing these incidents with us from uh, Islamic history as well. Um, and and it just goes to show um, that uh, this is something which even today. We are facing within the world the problems that we are seeing within the world. Um, I mean, we still haven't come up with a proper solution. By we, I mean the world governments and the world leaders and the world rulers. Mm-hmm. But Islam, such a beautiful religion that, I mean, it, it gets uh, branded and tarnished as a, as a backward uh, religion, but if we go to the, to to the, to to the actual Islamic literature and the what Islam is in essence, um, the whole religion is in fact the most perfect religion, and it has the solution to absolutely everything. There's no thing which uh, which has been missed in this, and and that's because this is the eternal mm-hmm. uh, religion and the everlasting one as well. And and with that, um, we have come to an end for today's show. Uh, we hope you have a wonderful week ahead as well. Thank you for, for being with us. And here is the 9 o'clock news.